Okay. Hi. I was saying, hold on to me. Not, not to you. You're good, Jen. Thanks. I got a mask beard. It's like hat head, but on your face. I don't know what hat hair is anymore. Hey, good to see you. My name is Brad. Uh, yes, I turned 42 yesterday. Those stairs were hard. Uh, but we'll get through. If you have your Bibles, we are in James. We are still in chapter one because there is a lot in James. If you don't have your Bibles, please take out your phone, download the Bible app, follow along, make notes, do whatever you got to do. Uh, but we are uh, we are going to cruise through James. James is a oh, well, there goes Thessalonians. Um, hope we don't have to teach that one. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is Bible is, is not the youngest of Bibles. It's younger than me, but you know, whatever. Uh, James, James is incredibly practical. He gets right to the point. He doesn't mince words. It's, I don't have time to get flowery and write 35 chapters about this. I'm going to just get to the point and I appreciate that. How many of you appreciate the friend that just, it's the Enneagram eight, right? Just in your face all the time. Allie, you and I are eights, all the other eights. Let's go get conflict. Uh, but the other day, uh, Carrie was uh, making this big surprise thing for, for my birthday. And, and she, she is a sweetheart. She doesn't enjoy lying. Uh, unlike me, who can uh, lie a lot and do surprise things, she just can't do it. And so she made up this. I'm trying to find James, and I think it fell out in my backpack. But we'll, we'll get it on there. Um, but, uh, but she decided that she was going to fool me in thinking that we, on Friday... We're going to go to Ikea. And Friday is usually my day off. And she goes, hey, we're going to go to Ikea. And there's nine words that I hate in my marriage. Hey, I think we need to go to Ikea to, to, together. <laughs> I can't stand Ikea. I, I mean, the whole thought of even now talking about going to Ikea. Good grief. It's awful. And so she kept this whole thing going. We're going to go to Ikea. Now, Ikea exposes everything about our relationship, everything that's bad. Uh, our differences in style, our differences in budgets, our differences in process. Uh, everything comes out when we're at Ikea. It's like me wearing skinny jeans and a V-neck. You see some things that you shouldn't see about our marriage. And so she says, we're going to Ikea, and it never ends well. And so the whole time, I'm sitting there going, great, can't wait. <laughs> You know, she goes, we got to go because, you know, your mom's coming to town. My mom's sitting right back there trying not to be seen. She's, she's right there. Um, hi, mom. Oh, now, yeah, there you Yeah, don't. Uh, but she, mom's coming to town, and then her dad's coming to town later this week. So we got to get this guest room finished, and we got to go to Ikea and get a table. Plus, I ordered something for Judah's room, and I'm like, I'll just go. Because what I'll do is I won't walk through the purgatory of hell. Um, I'll just, I'll look at the, what is the call number that I need at the very end? You know, the thing you're supposed to write down? And I'll go through the exit to the call number, grab it, and if I'm there more than 15 minutes, I lost. And that includes waiting in line. And so that's my goal. And so she says, we're going to Ikea together. And I'm like, oh, but it ends up, I didn't go to Ikea. She finally broke down Friday night and said, you're not going to Ikea. You're going to go play golf with Roger, Scott, and Eric, and then we're going to go to dinner. I'm sorry, I can't lie anymore. I was like... Oh, good. We're not going to Ikea. But the second worst part about going to Ikea is when you actually buy Ikea. Because it comes home in pieces. I saw a meme the other day. Memes make me laugh. I saw a meme the other day. Good memes. Uh, and it was a pile of logs. And it says, just bought a log cabin from Ikea. And I was like, so perfect. 
because about everything's fine when you get home. It, it, you're just, you're there. You, you have this box that's supposed to be a dresser and inside of it is an Allen wrench that is this big. My hand is this big. It doesn't work, but I, I found the right tool, the screw tip I could put on my screw gun so I could cheat. And so I use that. But the whole thing is this instructions on how to put this thing together, which never makes sense. They don't have words. Instead, they have smiling people. And at step four of the smiling thing, when I am no longer smiling, I'm ready to throw things. And it's 45 more steps of this stupid stuff. I, I'm ready to quit. I have said choice words. This is entirely uh, unrealistic. I am sweating. And I sweat normally. I am sweating more. And it's the middle of winter and I'm outside. And I just, it, the frustration sets in. Because following instructions, guys, we're like this. Some women are like this. Following instructions? No. Right? Suggestions. I can look at the picture and look at what I have and go, I can get there without the instructions. And then it doesn't end well after that. Finally, after about an hour of trying, and we've decided that, no, we cannot go to Ikea together, nor can we be in the same room when we're trying to assemble Ikea, because she wants to follow the instructions, and I'm saying, those are bogus. That takes too long. I got a better way. We finally, or I finally, let go of my ego, and with bloody hands and completely humiliated, I say, fine, let's use the instructions. And then about 10 minutes later, it's like, Oh, that was easy. Have you gotten there? Finally, when you come to the end of yourself, you've lost, and you, you finally realize that the instructions might actually come in handy if you just follow them. This is why I think James is great, especially in our culture. Because James is so practical, he's writing to a bunch of people who are going through the hardest times. They don't have a lot of time to read a lot of words, and so they're just cutting to the chase. And so James starts with these, let's just follow the instructions, folks. And we saw this last week as we jumped into it. James, he gets right to it. When you're going through a difficult time, consider it joy. How you enter something will always... Uh, dictate how you exit something. So if you go into this with confident joy, knowing that at the end of the result, you'll be more like Christ, it makes the trial harder. Uh, and then he says, consider it joy when you go through this. And then because you're going to need help with this, ask for wisdom. Go to the source of the wisdom. Don't go to the wisdom of everything else. Go straight to the father of wisdom. And the father of wisdom is God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of everything you need to know. And this is what he's saying. And so he gets practical. Our trials will produce patience. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm wrong often, so I'm often corrected, so feel free. Most trials that we go through come through what? Head-to-head -head conflict with other people, right? You could nod your head. I can't, I can't see mouths right now. Yes, head-to-head -head conflict with other people is the basis of our trials. I mean, the world would be much, much better if we all did everything like Laura does, right? Because if Laura does, if we all looked and, and did, made all of our decisions like her, there would be zero conflict. Or if we don't want to do that, if we all, if we all did everything like Glenn, everything would be fine because we would be the same. If we all did things like you would do things, there would be no conflict. 
There would be no upset drivers on the freeway. Everyone would believe the same thing. They would drive the same way. Everyone would, would they wouldn't have to argue over what to watch and what team was the better one. We wouldn't have to argue about anything because everything would be fine because we did it just like you. And that would be boring. Not calling you boring. But if you did everything like me, it'd be boring too. Because we're not all alike. And because we're not all alike, we have conflict. There's no magic button to get rid of conflict. So James is writing to a church who's going through conflict. Conflict with each other. Conflict with the persecution that's happening around them. They're going through difficult situations. This is why James is writing to folks. And the key to interacting with people who are causing conflict is the word that we all hate. Patience. However, in order to develop patience, you need to have what? Patience. Patience is one of those things that you are not born with. You have to have it to get more of it. The same thing that happens with Ikea furniture. You need patience. It's impossible to have patience without at some point getting frustrated about getting angry, maybe throwing some things and some instruction booklets around. For this reason... We always imagine the world as screwed up as ours. And, and when we look at our world, it's screwed up as ours. We think that if we get mad at something, if it's frustrating and everything's not going our way, what would fix things? So we fire off an email thinking, well, that'll fix it. I'm going to send this strongly, strongly worded email back as a reply all. I've done that. You done that? Does it work? No. And so we hit, we hit post on a rant, or we reply to a rant on Facebook thinking, there, that'll solve everything. Have any of your minds ever been changed by a Facebook post? No. And if your mind has never been changed by a Facebook post, neither has anybody else's minds. And so you're, we're learning these things on how to deal with other people. And the first step Jane says is patience. Don't post anything. Don't roll the eyes, let out the sigh, walk away. What's that result in? A broken relationship, more frustration, more anger. None of it works. So James gives us two how-to steps in order for you and I to deal with the conflict around us and the relationships more better. Was that wrong to say? More better. So he starts this. The first step he gives us is this. Slow down. In your frustration with people, slow down. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In other words, very practical advice. Angry decisions are rarely your best decisions. So instead of popping off with the email, breaking the friendship, slamming the door, rolling the eyes, sending the strongly worded letter, take a breather. Slow down. Because if we want things to be made right, the best thing we can do is let go of our way of getting the work to be done and our, get, let go of what we want, which usually comes from a place of pride, usually comes from a place of en envy, hatred, some kind of malice. So James is saying in order to get, what, to get the resolution, the best thing we can do, step back, take a breath, let God do some work here. If God is going to work through us, it's not going to be through our anger. 
It's not going to be through the strongly worded reply. It's not going to be uh, with our malice, with our quick wit, or with our sarcastic remark, and when we cut down other people. It's not going to work that way. Minds aren't changed. But James does give us an idea of what changes people's minds. What changes people's minds is the word and work of God. If you look back to the previous passage in James, in verse 18, James talks about how God is giving birth to something through the trials that we go through. You go through trials. God is working. He's making us all new creatures. And we're in the process of what God is planting. So you've said yes to Jesus. There has been a seed put inside of you, and you are in process. God is making you new, and you're in the process of being planted. God has put the seed in you. How many of you have ever reseeded a lawn? Or put seeds in the ground. It doesn't come up tomorrow morning. My son is learning this. We reseeded our lawn. And the next day, I turned on the sprinklers. We sit down and the sprinklers go off. And we're sitting in our window. And he looks at me and goes, what time is the grass going to get here? (laughs) I go, oh, buddy, it's going to take a while. But we want it now. We don't, we, we, we don't have the patience. We expect the results. And so when we don't get the results we want, we get angry. And then we lose track of what's happening. So James is telling us, hey, be patient. God is planting something in this world. He's planting something with you. It's going to take some time. James is a scholar of the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament there. This is the first book that was written in the New Testament. So James is very familiar with the Old Testament. He's picking up on something that Isaiah had written in Isaiah 55. And here's what it says in verses 10 and 11. And and as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it bud would flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and what I want to achieve for the purpose of which I sent it. James sees God's word in the terms of something being sown and planted and eventually will have a harvest. It's going to produce a shrub, a fruitful harvest. In our timing? No. No. In God's timing. So be patient. Be patient. And then Isaiah gives us the result. And for any of you who grew up in the church, if you recognize the song, you you get this. You will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the field will break forth into song before you and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Am I the only one that knows that song? No? Okay, good. We'll clap their hands. Yeah? Okay. Never mind. You missed your cue. So... But James is saying, look, there's something being planted and it's going to break forth in singing. There's a seed implanted in you and it's going to come to fruition. So in order to let that happen, your anger will kill the seed. So let God work. Have patience. What God desires to do in you, in the people around you, in the world around us is not going to be hurried by your anger. But this is what I hear all the time. Well, Jesus went into the temple and he was ticked off and he flipped the, seat, the, the tables over. So because Jesus flipped the tables, we need to get angry and we need to do things like that. Yeah, Jesus did it. So we have to flip tables and flip tables can be whatever you want. Jesus got mad. Yes, he did. He got angry. He threw things. 
but we can't take that one picture of Jesus in that one place in John and say, we have to do the same because you have to look at the entire picture of Jesus. Yes, he got mad in the temple and that is a whole other thing we'll get to in a minute. What else did Jesus say about your anger? Turn the other cheek. Love your enemy. He taught us that those who live by the sword, he says to Peter, the time he's being arrested, those who live by the sword will succeed by the sword? No, they'll die by the sword. He allowed the soldiers to nail him to the cross. It goes against the uh, overwhelming amount of Jesus's teachings to focus on this one and saying, we should go and do likewise. Not only Jesus's teachings, but when you read through the Old Testament, the prophets, Habakkuk, where there's injustice after injustice, who does the vengeance in the Old Testament? God does the vengeance. God is the one who can act on the anger. Yes, Jesus went into the temple, threw tables around. Here's the thing. He was essentially cleaning his own house. He was setting things right so that people would have access to worship in being forced, instead of being forced to offer an offering that wasn't up to par. He was doing something regarding worship, proper worship. That's what his concern. Why? Because if we worship God rightly, we can love others rightly. It didn't give us permission to go turn tables over. Yes, he's using violence, but it's not permission for us to use violence to, to resolve our places of injustice. There was never a go and do likewise moment. The reason why it stands out to us so much is because it goes against, it's out of character for Jesus to do what he did. It's an isolated event. It's not something that we should always emulate. However, anger in our culture and turning things upside down has become the norm. For Jesus, it was not. And for us, it should not be either. More times, Jesus says, love your enemy. Lay down your life for your enemy. Your enemy asks you to take you one mile, go two. Give him your cloak when they ask for your shirt. That's the overwhelming issue or teachings of Jesus. Verse 20, James tells us why. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This is an interesting verse, and, and it will make a lot of people uncomfortable, including myself. The word that James is using for anger is the Greek word argi, arge. Depends how the usage there. You want to say it? Go ahead. I'll give you a minute. Arge. Thank you, Dan Cole. Arge. It means this: anger, wrath, indignation, temper, agitation, and violent emotion. James is saying that the anger that comes to mind is not the normal parts of life where you get upset. The anger James is talking about is this anger that leads to violence. Not only violence that is expressed through like physical violence, but the violence that tears apart communities and leads to physical harm. And James does this in this section. James is a poet. He has your human anger and then he contrasts it with something else. What's he contrasting here? Your anger does not match God's righteousness. Human anger does not produce righteousness. Your anger will not be a seed that makes something right. You might think it does. It doesn't. Here's where James hits us with the gut punch, right? Because here's the word for, for righteousness. Daikaiusene. Uh, it's hard to say. You want to say it? Say it with me. Daikaiusene. 
Yes, way to go. It means this, simple, justice. Your anger does not bring forth justice. Now the justice that James is talking about here is, is God's justice, which is the only type of justice that matters. Your justice doesn't bring apart, bring the justice that God approves of. What James is focusing on here is the results of our anger. When we're angry, when you're seeing red, when I'm seeing red, because of something that was done to us, around us, against us, against a friend of ours, when we respond to anger, we respond in wrath, and that's where we act out. And if we think that we just, if we just get angry enough, we're going to bring forth the proper result, it might be your vision of justice, but it's not God's version of justice. You might feel better, but that doesn't matter. The fact is it doesn't bring about God's justice. James is concerned about the effects of your actions, not necessarily your actions. Not only is James concerned about the effects of your actions, so is Jesus. Matthew 7, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But every bad tree will bring about bad fruit. Your actions matter. The effects of your actions matter more. Paul says the same thing in talking about uh, the full effect of the law, the law of the Old Testament. Paul says this, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And in the Old Testament world, ancient Near East world, Judaism, where these guys are all writing from, justice was found in the law. What God says, love fulfills the law is what Paul is saying. Does it say your anger? Because there's a word for anger. Does that fulfill the law? No. James essentially is saying the same thing. The effects of your anger will not bring about God's justice. So what do you do instead? Take a breath. Be patient. Slow to anger. Quick to listen, slow to show your wrath, slow down. The second the thing that James teaches us is what will bring about God's righteousness, God's justice, live rightly. Therefore begins verse 21. And if we've been here before, we know what we say about therefore. When therefore is there, we need to know why it's therefore. James is finishing a thought. He's been going since verse one about trials and how to get through them. And then he comes to the crux of his first argument. There's many throughout James. And he goes, because your anger will not solve anything. Here's what will. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God that's been planted with you, which can save you. In other words, if you want to bring about justice and you're angry about it, the best thing you can do, change your life first. You first. You want to see it modeled? Start with you. Get angry with yourself. Work on yourself here. And how do we, and how do we start doing this? The next bit of action, get rid of. 
James is referencing something here that happened in the early church. When someone was converted from wherever, when they became a Christian, they went through a baptism. And in their baptism, they were saying goodbye to everything that they used to be, an old way of living, an old way of thinking. And they said, that is done. And the term that they used for that was, get rid of it. You're done with it. Get rid of it, throw it away. Don't even donate it to Goodwill. Burn it in the backyard. Get rid of it. And instead, and now, you are stepping into something that's new. You've gotten rid of the old. You've picked up the new. That shirt doesn't fit you anymore. Throw it away. It's got 15 holes in it, and you have air conditioning everywhere else. That's what I call it. You have holes everywhere. Get rid of it. It is of no use to you anymore, and it doesn't match with your new life. There's a story that happens in the book of Zechariah, and for, for illustration, this is what's happened in Zechariah. Uh, we're given this picture of a high priest named Joshua, not the Joshua that took over after Moses, a different Joshua. And he appears before God, and God notices that his robe is a little dirty. Here's what happens in Zechariah 3. Now, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put the fine garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge over my courts. And I will give you a place among these standing here. In other words, Joshua, if you want to be my priest, if you want to be my representative, change your clothes, put on the new clothes, because I'm doing something new in you. You can't do that anymore. You can't be my priest and have a dingy shirt. We are considered God's priests. It says that all through the Old Testament, First Peter, we are God's priests. We can't be God's priest while still wearing the other team's jersey. We can't play on our team while wearing the other team's colors. Hey, get rid of it. It's gone. It's past. First Peter actually says this. Get rid of what you used to be by washing the dirt off your body. The moral filth, the word that James uses, is the word huperia, which means dirt. And the word for evil is kakia, which sounds like kaka, right? Yeah, evil. It's kaka. Get rid of it. It's abnormal wickedness. It's also hatred. This is some pretty strong language that James is using. And he's got to use it to get the attention of the people. And he's got to use it to get our attention. You want, to, you want righteousness in society? Get rid of anger. You want righteousness in society? Get rid of your immorality. You want righteousness and justice in society? Get rid of your hatred. Whether it's random, whether it's premeditated, it has no business in the church. Get rid of it. But what does have a home? Again, James is saying, get rid of this. Instead of this, put on this. What's he say? The word of God, which has already been planted within you. Get rid of evil and humbly accept the word of God. The commandments of God. The word he uses, logos, which is the actual word of God. John 1.1, 1, 1, the God spoke word. 
This is the word of God, and it's infinitely better than any of ours. Instead of fighting against it, humbly accept it. Receive it with open arms is what James is saying. Absorb it, and most of all, surrender to it. But it's more than just a simple surrender. It's a radical shift away from everything you've been living in the past and the way of doing things in the past and stepping into God's way. Here's what he says again. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You can almost see James like a parent. Do what I say. Come on. I know you hear me. Do what it says. It's one of those things to know the right way of doing things is a complete other than actually doing it. In the Old Testament, they had a saying, do what the law says, do what the Torah says. We want to please God, do what the Torah says. In Deuteronomy 28, there's the phrase, practice the Torah, which means do what it says. In Exodus 24, 3, Moses comes down. He says, this is what God wants to do. He's giving you everything. And what do they say? We will do what it says in Matthew 7, 24, Jesus says, everyone who hears the words of mine does them. And when they do them, they're like a house built on a rock. The contrast, if you just listen to them and don't do it, you're a house built on sand. And we have a difficult time with this. Why? Because we don't like it. We spend so much more time trying to explain our way around the Bible instead of actually living by the Bible. We find arguments. Oh, well, this word meant this to this group of people, or that's not what it meant. And we start doing this biblical gymnastics to twist and turn our way out of what the Bible is saying instead of just humbly saying, okay, I'm going to do what it says. We need to stop making excuses. And in the words of Nike, just do it. Do what the Bible says about your anger. Do what the Bible says about how you treat others. Do what the Bible says about your sex lives. Do what the Bible says about your inability for, to forgive. Do what the Bible says about holding on to bitterness. Do what the Bible says about your addictions. Do what the Bible says about your money. Do what it says. Stop making the excuses. Do what it says. And that's what James is saying. You want to live rightly? You want to bring righteousness to this culture of ours? Do what the scripture says. Don't make excuses and think that you found a better way to assemble the Ikea furniture. Thinking there's a better way never actually ends up better. And he goes on to say, those of you who just listen and don't do it are like the guy who looks in the mirror and mirrors were very uncommon, looks at themselves in the mirror and then walks away and forgot what they look like. How many of you looked in a mirror today? You know what you look like? Yeah, because you remember that. I avoid mirrors at all costs. There's really nothing to fix. It's just broken. It's so, James says, if you, if you just look at the mirror and then forget it's a waste of time. If you just listen to this and then try to make your way around it, stop it. God's word wants to go to work. It's been implanted in you. It's supposed to change you. It's supposed to make you uncomfortable. It's supposed to question everything that you think. It's not going to massage you and say, it's okay. 
I'm sorry you feel differently. No, God's word is going to confront you and change you. It's supposed to do that. It's like a hard workout. It's going to hurt and it's going to make your, you better and it's going to change your lifestyle. And in confronting those areas, you will be transformed. Romans 12, you'll be transformed, not conformed. And we'll find that in doing actually what the Bible says and what the word of God says brings freedom and more joy than you can ever imagine. And in doing that, you'll find the justice you're looking for. And here's what it always comes back. Well, that's legalism, Brad. Don't be so legalistic. It's not legalism. Stop it. That's not what legalism is. Legalism is saying that if I live a certain way in order to get a certain something. And so legalism says, I have to wear these pants in order for God to love me. That's legalism. Legalism says you can't in an order that you can't, so God will do something in response. You'll earn God's favor. That's legalism. This, what James is saying, is not legalism. James is saying, do what it says. Why? Because you already have it. It's already planted inside of you. You already got it. You're not earning anything. You're simply being changed. Now, let it change you. Do what it says. This is different. This is not legalism. The obedience comes from already having something, not trying to earn something. Because no Christian sermon is ever complete without a quote from C.S. Lewis. Here it is. Obeying God is not legalism. It is simply a symptom of your salvation. Do we like the instructions that come from Ikea? No. But if I follow the instructions, will I end up in a better place? Yes. I will have the piece of furniture I begrudgingly bought. But I have to follow the instructions. Thinking you have a better way to do it, that your anger is going to be better, is not going to bring about the result. Do what it says. Humbly accept that you don't have a better way. A lot of us are really good at making excuses. We need to stop it. The church, desperately, not just this church, in general, churches, stop making the excuses. Do what it says. Obey what scripture tells us to do. Then, and only then, will we find what God is expecting and what God wants to do through us because we allow the seed that he has implanted to grow and become what he wants it to be. Stop making the excuses today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for people like James who just get right to the point and in our face. God, may you use just this moment and we'll be quiet for a minute. May use this moment to confront our excuses. What excuses have you made in order to accommodate your life? 
What's the excuse? Let's get rid of it. No more excuses. No more holding us back. And as Hebrews 12 says, let's throw off all of the things that hinder our development. Get rid of those so that we can pursue Jesus freely. God, your commands don't bring us oppression. Your commands and your way of doing life brings us freedom. And may we see your words as freedom today. When we obey your commands, life seems to go better. So God, may you confront our anger. Would you replace it with patience? Would you uproot the weed of anger and plant in us patience? Would you uproot the hatred and plant love? Would you uproot excuses and plant a desire to follow you? And may we do what it says. In Jesus' name.